Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. You know, there's a lot going on in the game of golf, and so many people think that we're headed toward court. Well, the most important court case involving professional golf this century involves the guy who's going to join me in just a minute. Go back to the beginning of this century, Casey Martin. He won a case against PGA Tour Inc. It was actually PGA Tour Inc. versus Martin, case 532. It went to the Supreme Court. It was before social media. It was at a time when a guy riding a golf cart because he had a very impaired right leg got into the mainstream of sports. The topic was kicked around, debated, and discussed day in and day out for weeks on end. Well, he won that case and played on the PGA Tour for about two seasons. But since then, he has been the golf coach at the University of Oregon. And more recently, last fall, he had his lower right leg amputated. His life is one of the more fascinating lives that I think we have seen in the game of golf, at least in my lifetime. Well, his thoughts on his life and what's next for him is coming up right now. And with that, we welcome in the head coach of the University of Oregon, Casey Martin. Casey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, listen, I really appreciate you making the time. Um, I said before we came on, you look like the secondary coach at the school you coach at for the football team. And you actually have a connection to that. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. You know, as you sit here now, this stage of your life, um, did you ever think, did you ever look back and go, God, I can't believe this is what my life the path that I've been on. Uh, yeah, I do quite often. I'm like, and, and most of the time it's positive. There's, there's a few negatives in there. Like, wow, is this really my, my world? But um, overall, I, I, I've, I'm so blessed and I have a great job at Oregon. I love it. My, you know, my home's been in Eugene forever and I get to represent Oregon in a really uh, epic time of our history. So um, it's been a really, really fun ride for sure. Casey, when you were an elite college player, did you pay any attention to to the, the the mechanisms and the kind of the approach your own college coach had? Did you did, did that even impact you? I would say it did. Um, you know, at Stanford, Wally Goodwin was um, he was older when we were there. He was in his mid sixties when we showed up. Um, we, as in like Noda and Tiger and some of that modern crew, and and. He was kind of hands-off. He wasn't a micromanager. Um, he let us play. It was fun. Um, I, I had an amazing experience. <clears throat> it's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing today. It's because I really enjoyed my, my years at Stanford so much. And I've, I'm not the same coach as Wally. I, I, I'd like to be in a lot of respects. Um, and, uh, but just he really freed us up to play. We had fun. I think that's really important. You know, these kids, and I'm a little bit older than you are, um, and I don't, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a slight against them. There's no reason why anybody should necessarily know what happened, you know, like a lifetime ago from their own lives. Are any of them abundantly aware of your own journey when, before you start to, your relationship with them? No, not anymore. Um, I think they learn about it. Um, they see me, obviously, in a card or, struggling a little bit physically and and their parents are probably going to know me 
Um, and so they learn about it. But, you know, when I went through my ordeal with the PGA Tour, that was in 98 through 2001. That was 20 plus years ago. And these kids I'm recruiting are 16. So, I mean, they, they're just now coming to a point where they might be learning about it. I've had some recruits say that they've done stories on me, like in school, you know, uh, from ADA type stuff, which is really funny. Um, but, uh, no, the kids I'm recruiting now are super young compared to, I mean, I'm old. So, um, yeah. Um, but they, they figure it out pretty soon. You know, Casey, I, you know, going back, I was doing local sports talk radio at the time. Uh, when when the case that got to the Supreme Court was going on, and obviously there was no social media, but what I found really interesting was that there was so much sensibility on both sides of it. Um, I thought anyway, and I was, and I'm not saying that because you're sitting here. I've, I've said it for more than 20 years. I was on your side, uh, but I totally understood the other side as somebody who grew up playing the game and and was a club professional. I I totally got it. And it bled into the mainstream of sports. It was such a daily topic of debate and discussion. Did you find yourself reading and listening? You couldn't sit there and consume it on, like I said, on social media. Were you influenced by what you were hearing and reading as it was going on? Um, I would say yes, I was. I would certainly um, follow it. It was hard not to because you're kind of the center of a storm a little bit. I'm grateful I went through what I did pre-social media, I think it would be a lot more difficult now. Um, people can be really brutal on Twitter and whatnot. Yep. Um, and I'm grateful that I didn't have that. Um, but you still got bits and pieces of it. Um, but it wasn't overwhelming um, because of the, because it was pre-social media. Um, but you certainly were aware of it. And and to your point, I, I totally got both sides too. I mean, I, I, I tried to be deferential through that process because yes, I was bias towards me. I knew what I was going through, but I also understood the, the, it's a sport and there's one set of rules. I understood that argument. So, um, obviously I did what I did, but I, I hopefully wasn't, um, coming down too hard on people that didn't disagree with me. Cause I, I, I got it too. You know, there was an article written recently by Max Adler of Golf Digest about you. And, and it was for a lot of people, it was people were able to catch up with, with where you are in your life. And obviously with what has gone on in the last year, I I hope you thought it was a good piece. I thought it was myself. I, 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 you know, I admire Max's work. Um, One of the things in there was a quote from Rich Beam saying that he thought if, if that was going on today, that you would have overwhelming support. Do you agree with that? Um, I do. I don't know about overwhelming because people are so vocal hiding behind social media that I think it still would have been a controversy, but based on the direction, um, uh, our culture is going, I think, I think it would have been probably an easier path for me. I probably wouldn't have had to gone to the extent I did, um, legally at least. Um, I, at least I wouldn't have, I, I don't think so. The, um, the, the court at that time, you know, I, I think about the members of that court. I actually, you know, I, I was a political science major. I worked in D.C. Uh, for a summer uh, and was very curious about the political process. The court, you know, it's different now in a lot of ways. The personnel, the people. Um, it was a 7-2 decision uh, on on your side. And Judge Rehnquist was, was presiding over the court at that time. He was the chief justice. Have you thought about the makeup of the court now? And if that, what influence that would have had on, on the overall outcome of your own decision? Sure. I think, um, you know, it's more conservative now in some places. So maybe it would, wouldn't have been quite as easy 
Um, but there were some golfers um, on the court at the time, um, people that kind of were in the know a little bit. So, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. Um, it, it worked out for me. I'm grateful because it allowed me to pursue this game at the highest level and, and kind of go for it. Um, but yeah, there's all the courts and, and to your point, it is variable every year, every, you know, it goes through these seasons and these, and these turns. And, and so I, I think I probably was in a bit favorable time and, um, but culturally now it's probably more favorable. So who knows? You just don't know, but it is like, I, I got through, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, don't want to ever do it again, but, uh, um, it, it certainly helped shape who I am. You know, Casey, I, I've always thought, look, walking was an inherent variable uh, to playing high-level, you know, elite golf like you were doing. But I, it was interesting to read, you know, the challenges that you had with, with anxiety and, and the tension that's created when you, riding in a golf cart, trying to navigate through various areas that are, look, they're not cut out for people to be on a golf cart to weave in and out, uh, inside the ropes, outside the ropes. And I hadn't thought about that. Um, Aside from the physical part of it, was that as big a challenge as any? Huge, huge. And as I look back on my career, as I look back on things, if I could have a do-over, I would have really addressed that issue. Because um, when you get out on the web.com a little bit, um, or the Nike Tour, now the Corn Ferry, obviously there aren't quite the crowds, there aren't quite the extra stuff. And so you were, I was able to manage it a little better. When I got to the PGA Tour, it was a huge issue. You couldn't drive anywhere. It was just, it was logistically very challenging. Not uh, undoable. You just, it just was a challenge. So what I found, my heart rate, and I wasn't totally aware of this all the time, but as I look back, my heart rate was spiking all the time because I'm coming down under ropes, weaving in through people, trying not to hit kids, trying to just get through. Once I got to the fairway, it was a little bit of peace, but there were some significant times where I was just stressed out getting to the tee because of, you know, just what I was dealing with. It was so, you know, unknown and just kind of unique. Um, and so I know that that affected me when I'm now as a coach, when I'm talking to my players about how to tap into that elite mindset, it's all about your heart rate. It's all about your quiet mind and just kind of being chill so that your talent can kind of come out. And I really struggle with that. There's just no doubt. And, and I, I think had I been able to keep my card longer and stay out there, I probably would have learned that and, and had a better career. I just, it was a huge challenge and I, you know, dealing with physical issues and expectations. And then every time I got to the golf course, it was just, it was spike time with my heart rate. So if I could go back and do it again, I would have really worked with someone, um, on my breathing, on how to just process that because um, I was in uncharted waters and I was sinking half the time, you know? So, um, but you live and learn and I can pass those experiences on to my guys and, and not that they're going to be in a cart, but everyone's heart rate tends to spike. And, and um, I think I'm in a position now to help those kids based on what I dealt with. You know, I read something, and I, I, I'm really fascinated by people who play at a, at a high, high level, and there's been some players, Darren Clark gave me some great insight, Padraig Harrington, on how rare it is to get into a space where the only thing that enters your mind is the execution of the next shot, that all the ancillary noise and thought and trying to project ahead or ramifications or consequences 
are stripped away and that that rare air of being there and you actually pursued this idea of, of playing without thought. I, I just want to know how you achieved that because there was a period there where you did and you said you played better than you ever had. How did you do that? Well, it's sort of a long story. Um, obviously, I got to play a year of my life with Tiger, who was the best at it. I, I don't think you can, when you look at his career and why he won so much and you try to break down why, I don't think you can, I think that's the reason. Mentally, his concentration, how he was able to focus um, is different. It's it, There's only a few guys like him, and I got to see that. Um, and, and for me personally, um, I went through that journey and, and it goes a little bit back to my year on the, um, my second year on the, on the corn ferry. It was, like I said, I was the web back in the day. Um, I had missed, I, I did well my first year. I had one out there my second year trying to get my PJ tour card. I missed four cuts in a row by a shot. And I remember being distraught talking to a buddy of mine and, and um, he gave me some tips. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm working with this, not a sports psychologist, but with this guy to help me with these clear keys over the ball. And he basically shared that he was thinking about things unrelated to golf over the golf ball and had a routine where he would have a mantra and say it as he swung um, so that he wouldn't consciously control everything. And, you know, here I was, I missed four straight cuts by a shot. And I knew I wasn't swinging horribly. And so I tried it. I had a little mantra. I would say it in my head as I swung. And I think it was in Dakota Dunes. And I think I finished third that week, the first time I did it. And I was like, whoa, I just went from four straight missed cuts to a third. And the only thing I did was literally not think about golf over the shot. And I did it for the remainder of that, of my, of that season and was able to get my PGA tour card. I had a bunch of great finishes. I didn't win, but I had three or four really high finishes, got my card. And then when I went to the tour, it kind of stopped working a little bit. You know, there's always a honeymoon. And next thing I know, I was working on my golf swing and, and kind of not doing that great. And so um, cut to recently, about three years ago, I've retired, obviously, but I still pursue the game. I'm hitting golf balls a lot, and I'm getting frustrated because I'm doing the same thing. I'm hitting it fine, shooting the same scores, but not ever going to really do anything special in the game. And I just gave myself a five-week challenge. It was in the end of July. My team was coming back in September, and I said, I'm going to, for the next five weeks, I'm not going to think one conscious thought over the golf ball. I'm just going to totally stand over the ball until my mind went blank, and I'm going to swing. And so I tried it for two days hitting balls, and it was really difficult because the more you think about your golf swing, the more thoughts just keep coming, right? And so to kind of purge that and get it out, it really took hours of just standing there and swinging but what i ended up finding when i did that is i became much more of an observer of myself than a controller if that makes sense yeah so i'm used to being over the ball trying to control everything tell myself what to do versus i kind of shifted to this mindset where i was just kind of like almost watching myself i don't know if that makes sense but um i decided to go play golf i remember i went out with a couple buddies uh first time doing it i shot 63 and I hadn't shot 63 in a long time. And I was like, okay, that was really different. Um, not that I hit it that much better. It was just, it, it allowed some space for some of the magic to happen. And I, I can't really explain it, but I went on to play that five weeks. I never shot even par or higher. Everything I shot was under par. 
I averaged like 67.2 for 25 rounds. And this is tipping out um, the golf courses I'm playing. You know, I'm 47, but I, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm three years away from 50. If I can, you know, this is, I'm starting to get some traction going. This is kind of what I want to do. If I can maybe get some exemptions on the senior tour, this is how I want to play golf. I don't want to be the guy looking for a tip on the range, having it work for three swings and then recycling that and just always on search mode. And what I found, a couple of things I found, I found that my golf swing, when I videoed it, looked the same when I was thinking about nothing. And it looked the same as when I was thinking about all my positions, so to speak. And so I, I wasn't giving up anything with my golf swing. It wasn't like my swing went to, went to crud. It, it, it stayed the same. Um, I found out when I was, when I was playing golf, my misses, um, didn't bother me as much. Um, it used to be like, if I would be working on a mechanic when I played and something went bad, I would get frustrated. Like that didn't work, you know, or what's going on. And now I just kind of gave up, you know? And so if I hit a bad shot, I wasn't consumed by it. And so it resulted in just a little bit more peace on the golf course. It was more fun. Um, I was playing in a totally different mindset and I played really well. That's kind of what I wanted to do. Now that I'm 50, I, I, it, I would have loved to have been pursuing it a little bit on the senior tour. Obviously, I'm not because of my my physical situation. But I had that little glimpse of a five-week period where it was like this was really different than um, how I played golf back in the day. Um, nothing against swing teachers or mechanics. I think they're really important, obviously. I talked to my team about them. But if you're going to try to enter into that magic space – and compete with the best players in the world, you're going to have to do it um, using the powers of your subconscious and just sort of that, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I'm doing a poor job really articulating it, but there's a little bit of magic that can happen when your mind's not in your way and you got to work, you got to kind of pursue it a little bit. So I was deep into pursuing it. I really believe it works. Um, it's not going to work for a beginner. You got to learn the game, but once you reach a certain level, I'm a big believer that it's really about how quiet your mind can be is, is really that, that missing link. You know, Casey, one of the anecdotes was that you went out to Sand Hills, and I was just there last week. Um, you played four straight rounds, and you, you, they were all sub-70 rounds. And my question is that the people you're playing with, there are people that know you. They know, you know your level, and it's obviously a very high level, but, but you're, you're stringing together all these good rounds. You're probably hitting a lot of really good shots. They have to be reacting. And I would think that like those types of things I would think would be a challenge to maintaining this, this clearness of mind. Like it's almost like the nuclear loose line in Bull Durham when he throws his strike and he's like, how'd I do that? You know, I'm, you know, and I mean, how do you keep it? How'd you keep so clear with other people reinforcing how good you were hitting it? You know, I, I, I wasn't competing during the stretch. So yeah. I didn't have a lot of those extra anxieties that, sure. you know, to take, it, to take it to tournament golf is another hurdle. Sure. Um, it's got to start somewhere. And I was very much enjoying it. It was easy. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it was easy because of that standpoint. It wasn't high. I mean, I was playing golf courses from the tips. It was tough golf courses, but it wasn't obviously the PJ Tour. Certainly. So, um I think that's next level is doing that when there's a lot of distractions and it's not easy. It's why there's only one Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus. Those guys were really, really special that way. And I don't think you can separate their mind from their, 
I mean, that's their missing. That's really their secret. Um, Tiger's golf swing is awesome. He's strong, clearly. But why is he won 80 some events and and other guys have won four or five? It's not because his swing is that much better than other guys. It's because he had an ability to tap into that that mindset that's that, you know, and I play the piano. And so I notice it a lot. I don't play as much anymore. But when you play an instrument, if you just go down there and you're messing around and it's very easy, it just rolls off your fingers. And as soon as you start thinking about it, as soon as you start like trying to hit the notes consciously, it's a, it's really hard. I mean, it's, it like, it is the hardest thing in the world. And so it, it pretty much, that's a, it shifts to sport as well. I mean, Steph Curry, when he shoots, he's not thinking about things. You can tell he's just in the moment reacting. You have to build your skills to get to that point, but that's really what every guy is seeking is that, that moment and that, that mental space where you're just not in your way. You're not controlling. It's just unfolding naturally. And it's a mystery. I'm not going to lie. It's a total mystery. I don't have those secrets. I, I, your listeners, I'm not going to be able to tell them anything, but they need to pursue that um, because it's going to be different for everybody. Um, but it's out there for everybody. Um, I, I really think there's a headspace that you can get to through breathing, through quieting your mind, um, where your talent can come out a lot easier. Doesn't mean you're going to hit every shot perfect, but um, it does mean that that you can maximize your skill set by getting out of your way. And I mean, it sounds easy. It sounds like I've mastered it. I haven't even really, I mean, I haven't, but I've tasted it and I know that's where I want to go if I ever play again. And it's certainly where I want to take my team. You know, there's a line, he didn't say that he's responsible for the line, but Billy Harmon shared this line with me years ago, swinging with an absence of fear or thought. And when you see it, you just know it. And I just wonder with your, with your kids, do you know that there is too much thought even before they, they go from the think box into the play box? Do you know that they are, there's too much contemplation? No, I don't have the ability to just look instantly. I mean, sometimes when a kid's really in a zone, um, you can kind of see it. They're, they're not reacting. They're, they're at peace. They're kind of at a different level when you come up and talk to them. When they're not in a good place, things are happening really quick, you know, um, and you know, they can be kind of nervous and jittery. So I've noticed that, but, but it's, again, it's, it is a mystery and you can come in and out of it. I mean, it's yeah. like, you can have the stretch where you birdie three holes in a row and it's like, great. And then something gets in your way. And the next thing you know, it doesn't. So, um, I don't, I wish I had the answers. I, I want to speak from a position like I've got this figured out, you know, I don't. Um, but I did taste it for those five weeks when I was really, I had one goal and that was to be, I'm not going to hit one shot without quieting my mind and just letting it unfold. And I'm telling you, it was hard, but I did it. And it was the best golf of my life. Um, I was 47. I wasn't, I mean, my leg wasn't doing great, but I really felt like had I been able to do that in competition, I would have done extremely well. Um, so it's really fun to think about. It's also kind of maddening to be like, what was I doing for those years I was playing golf? I mean, it's, I, I want a do over. So that's how I coach. I tell my kids, it's like, this is my do over. You're my do over. Take my lead, try to play golf as quiet as you can. 
because if I could do it over again, this is what I'd be pursuing. There are there there, there are some books that Roy McElroy has has talked about. A guy named Ryan Holiday. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He's written a book called Stillness is the Key. Another book called The Obstacle is the Way. And and it about the necessity for solitude, and that that if your mind is not quiet. Um, it's hard to it's hard to be productive in anything that you do. And I've actually read the books and and I think that they're they're applicable to really any area of life. I mean, it's one thing to say it. Are there things that you do with your kids in order to try to encourage the quieting of the mind? Yeah, I, I would say there are. So um, and in fact, I was just talking to Jeff Smith, a guy that works with a lot of guys on the PGA Tour. And I work with Jeff a little bit. Aaron, you know, he works with Aaron Wise and some others. And I just had coffee with him a month ago talking about this and he he shared uh, a breathing app that a lot of guys are doing on the pj tour which i love um i'm actually in the process of reading a book called breath right now a new york times bestseller i'm midway through it it's fascinating um i think that's where you start i i think um i think it was tom watson who maybe said he didn't learn to win until he learned to breathe and and i i mean looking back when you brought this up about when I was playing the PJ tour in a cart and how my heart rate would spike. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't know how to breathe and I still don't know. I'm not great at it, but had I had, and, and again, it, it's on me. I mean, I'm not blaming anybody. I just wish I would have pursued that back then of just taking a deep guttural type breath to clear it. Cause it really helps. Um, and, and I, so we do that as a team and we talk about that. Um, we've worked with Jay Brunza for a while now. Yep. Um, the last couple years we haven't because of covid but we want to get back jay's amazing jay was tiger sports psychologist yep. and the guy i've got to know he's a sweetheart i love him and he's big on that i mean that's his like number one is your breath and so um i think that's where you start it's really simple and and the better you get it breathing properly you can feel the tension fade um and then i think it's a practice of just letting all the distractions that come with golf just letting them come and go not 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 like clinging on to these thoughts that come in your mind. You got to just let the thoughts come and go and have a routine and a process where you can just kind of get quiet. It's not easy. Um, and no one does it perfectly, but I think the pursuit of it is huge. And the better you get at that from a competitive golfer standpoint, the lower your scores are going to be. And I can't explain it, but I, I really feel it's true. You know, for people who have followed your, your journey you know, this is almost 25 years now, going back to your college days. You, you express that, look, I, I live with the vulnerability uh, with, with the condition of my right leg and the inevitability that I may lose it someday. Well, you, yeah. you did last fall. Um, and and you, were, you had the courage enough to allow a camera crew to be out there when you did this piece for Golf Digest. Did you think long and hard about doing that before you eventually went out there and actually hit some golf balls? after after having the lower leg amputated my life's kind of been an open book and so I, that that part doesn't bother me it was humiliating i mean i'm so bad at golf right now because of that um my leg is not it's not good for golf let's just say this and and i kind of knew that but i didn't really have a choice in my situation i didn't have an alternative um i was i was between a rock and a hard place physically so i did have an amputation um, I think it's going to work out. It hasn't been easy. I'm, I've been, it's not been doing, it's been tough. Um, but I think it's going to work out in the long term. It's just going to be a while. Um, from a golf standpoint, with those shots they filmed of me, those were the first swings I had 
I'd ever done with yeah. a prosthetic. So it's embarrassing. I was topping um, and hitting them not well. I had a few somewhat respectable shots, but not re- not comparable to a professional golfer, but airborne flying somewhat at your target. Um, but it was really hard. It was kind of embarrassing, but hey, that's my journey. Um, it's really difficult. I know there was just a, uh, the, the USGA just had a, their first event, you know, for the, the adaptive um, I, open, yeah. the adaptive drill. I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, I, and I, I knew it, but I, I'm really knowing it now. Um, yeah. it's not easy at all. So, um, kudos to those guys for how well they played. The thing that struck me, Casey, was that you didn't just turn and walk in that you kept hitting shots. Um, that there was, there was a determination and, and something, you know, very gritty that obviously has been emblematic of who you are. Like you, that wasn't going to be it. Like you just had a, you were going to figure something out to some degree. Is that kind of, that's just who you are, isn't it? I guess. I mean, I don't like, um, it was humbling. And so you want to fight through those things. I, I literally, those are the only, I think I played five holes. Um, and you wouldn't even call them playing five holes. I, I don't know. I was hitting some shots on the golf course with the camera crew. Um, the other day I played two more <laughs> and, uh, it, it's not good. Um, but I have hit balls. I'm trying to figure it out to try to figure out how to generate power with the prosthesis. Um, I don't have my knee, which I think makes it, I think it's doable. If you had your knee without a knee, it's like, it just doesn't work right. And so I'm trying to figure out how to turn and do it. It, it I explained it that it feels like someone's tackling me, like someone's got is tackling my right leg when I'm swinging. So you just can't ever get through it. It just it just doesn't work. So I've been hitting a lot of shots with my feet together to try to create some kind of rotation through it. Um, I noticed this was back at the Hawaii tournament on the PGA Tour this this last winter. They had a picture of a young man playing golf in the in the pro am portion with one leg. Yes, um, and he was playing with without a prosthesis. He was just yep. playing, and and I was like, why is he doing that? And and now I know, um, it's really hard to swing with um, a, a prosthesis. It just is. So um, there are times where I hit golf balls with just with no leg on, just hitting and kind of bouncing a little bit. It's hard to generate power, but I was able to hit him pretty solidly. So. It's a journey. I don't know what to make of golf right now because it's, it's, it's painful and it hurts and it's just not, hasn't been that much fun, but that bug is still there. I still like want to go out there and try to figure it out. So I'll try to figure it out, but I have no expectations that I'm going to be very good, but we'll do, see. Do you, um, do, do you have any recurring golf dreams, like a dream where you're pain-free or, or that your, your leg is, is healthy. I, I was with these buddies and we were talking, there's a recurring dream that a lot of people who play golf have where there's an impediment to them swinging. And I've had this dream for, for 40 years. Uh, and I, the first time I heard somebody who shared it was Bryant Gumble, And I was like, I'll be damned. He's got the same dream that I have. Have you ever had it? Do you have any recurring golf dreams? I don't think I do. Um, I, I, I'm not a huge dreamer. Like if you're talking dreams at night, yes. I, I, I sleep when it's cold and I don't dream when it's, when I get hot and stuffy, my mind goes crazy, but I like to sleep in a cave. And so I'm kind of in a coma when I sleep. And so, um, I don't dream a ton, but if you talk about like, like conscious dreams and the things you think about, about golf, um, I, it would be more, I've kind of given up the dream of winning again or being out there because of 
I just, the obstacles are too great, but I do dream about some pain-free moments and just getting a cup of coffee and walking and not thinking it a big deal because I'm still in that mode where life is, is not easy right now. Everything I do is, is massively challenged. Just, just going to the restroom at night and getting a coffee and going through a buffet line. I mean, all those things are, are like ordeals to me. So I do dream of that when it's not like that and it can be more normal um as for golf anything i get going forward in golf is going to be a bonus from here on out so i'm going to hopefully get back to a point where i can just enjoy being on the golf course and playing i do enjoy recruiting and being with my guys you know i i I still love the game um but it's different now because i can't quite do it but it is what it is when when tiger had his accident and the severity of what had happened to his right leg i i you know it didn't take me long to think about you um, and he has talked about you through the years uh, and has been asked about you in the last 17 months. Um, do you communicate with him much? And, and, and obviously, I'm not trying to compare the circumstances. I just wonder about the dynamics of swinging with, with legitimate impairment uh, to a lower light, right leg, which is what you've dealt with for your whole life. And now he's got this. Yeah, no, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, we're in communication. We text a little bit, but it's not like all the time. And, and Tiger's been great. When I went through my uh, amputation, he was kind to reach out and um, I keep tabs on him through NOTA quite a bit. And um, I'm, I feel forever connected to him. I cheer for him. Like he can't believe, and I see the struggle. I mean, it's, it's real. I think he can, if he pursues it, if he can continue to get better, um, I think, I think his, he'll, he still has it in him um, because he's just so unique and special I'll never put it past him that he couldn't come back and win again. Obviously, physically, it's it's an ordeal. I mean, it is hard. And at the pain, you know, when you build in your right, golf swing's dynamic. Um, I'm very left-sided in my swing, always have been because of my leg. Um, but even as left-sided as I am, you still have to create a pressure shift into your right. It's dynamic. And when when you do that and there's pain, it just, it's going to affect you. And so I think you're seeing that in him a little bit. It's, it's going to be a process to, to work through that. And hopefully if he can continue to heal in the next years, I, I do believe he still got, it. um, cause he's such a monster in the weight room and he's such a monster mentally. Um, he can overcome, he can overcome it. He can do it, but it's, it's just, it's a huge challenge because pain hurts, you know, and, <laughs> When you're out there playing at that kind of level and you're in pain and and you're building into your right side and it's not super stable, it's not easy. Yeah, for sure. You know, so. you you had mentioned you you mentioned Noda a couple of times and obviously Tiger, Joel, Cribble. These, I mean, you're talking about a a, a generational like team that you guys had and. The irony is that you won before Tiger got there, and I know that that in a weird way, that's kind of it's a great little thing to have over him. Uh, and I know that you guys will use it uh, periodically, but go- college golf has changed so much in the sense that there's so much exposure now. You guys are on television. You won the national championship on on television uh, at home, by the way. Um, what were those years like in terms of sharing something? And it was, it was very colloquial. I mean, you guys weren't on TV every week. You were, you were playing college golf and driving around in a van and you were kids trying to understand who you were, let alone each other. What were those years like for you? Uh, they were awesome. I mean, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. It's why I fell in love with the game because I was around great players. We had a blast. We got along. 
we were very different um, at Stanford. We were so different in so many respects, culturally, um, religiously, personality wise, we were all over the place, but we loved each other and we had a blast and, and we were good. So it was really fun winning tournaments and doing that. And, and I look back on those years as some of the best in my life without a doubt. It's absolutely why I'm coaching Oregon today is I, when I thought as my career was kind of winding down, I was thinking about what I wanted to do. I just, it's like, man, that was so much fun. I want to keep that going. So um, it's college golf is transforming. It's becoming a bigger deal. And the PJ tour is now integrated with it, which is amazing with PJ tour U and all the things that are going on. Um, college golf's in a really good place. Um, it's, it's amazing. I love it. It's been my life and I hope it continues for a long time. Did you, did you start helping with the coordination of the football uniforms during Bilotti's time? Was that, was that, no, no, I, I did not at all. I, I, I got to know Chip Kelly really well. Okay. was coaching Oregon. We were buddies and Chip, Chip was always thinking a, a, a step ahead. And he says, Hey, he knew I loved the uniforms and what Nike was doing. And so he goes, why don't you pick them out for me? But I really found out that he did that for a reason. It wasn't so much that I would pick the uniforms. It was so that all the criticism of would go on would you. Me, and he just forwarded every email to me. And so he just, he was smart. He's like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to forward it to Casey. And so I got it. I got hit. People were mad that we weren't in green and yellow every time. And, and, but it was, it was super fun. I, I look back on, you know, those times with Oregon football with Chip Kelly and Scott Frost, who's now the coach at Nebraska was a good friend of mine, my roommate actually, when he moved to Oregon and um, we had a hoot, we had a great time. College athletics are amazing. They're changing a lot. It's kind of a perilous, it's a, it's a different Wild. world. It's a different world right now, but college athletics is amazing. Um, it's been my life growing up in Oregon and Eugene and seeing it evolve, I've had a blast with it. So no complaints, but it is definitely changing now. It is. And, and before a couple of things, before I let you go, you know, these, the, you know, the non-revenue producing sports, so to speak, you know, it's about football and we all know that. Um, and as you look at, at Oregon, which has incredible resources and a great brand, um, where do you think it's going to be in five years? Well, I mean, I had uh, my associate AD five years ago, a guy named Craig Pittens. He's now um, the, the uh, athletic director at Loyola Marymount. He told me this five years ago. He says, I see a, a model where there's going to be 50 Division One football teams, 40 maybe. Uh, the players are going to get paid, and they may or may not go to school. And I looked at him like, huh? What, what planet are you on? And I texted him or talked to him not too long ago. I'm like, man, you had a crystal ball. Because everything he's saying is kind of coming to true, coming true. It's consolidation, and and I just don't know if there's going to be 140 division or whatever it is, 130 division one football teams anymore. I don't know if it's sustainable. So, um, so we'll see. I I it looks like a pay for play type situation right now, which is which is very unique. Um, there's some trouble. I mean, it's troubling to look at in one respect, but it it's it's the evolution of college sports or sports in general. Um, I think we'll get through it, but um, it's definitely changing as we speak. And um, so at Oregon, I know that we, we just lost UCLA and USC from our conference. That was, you know, it's a, certainly a big hit. And, sure. and we're trying to work that out. Like, where are we going to end up? It's the Pac-10 now going to continue. And how does that work? Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think it works for football, what they're doing. You know, it's TV driven and 
there's 11 games. You can travel the world doing that. But in all these other sports, I'm telling you, it doesn't really work. Golf is different. We play tournaments. Sure. It won't affect it. But can you imagine the soccer's like if the soccer teams and the volleyball teams from oh. UCLA having to fly to Rutgers to go play? I mean, it's logistically challenging, but also financially challenging. So um, it's going to be an interesting ride. I don't know where it's all going to go. Um, we're all kind of holding our breath wait to see where the chips fall yeah you know Casey I've always thought and even with the inclusion of Utah and Colorado I thought that the Pac-10-12 was the most geographically perfect conference in all of America I mean you you make a two-game road trip to whatever state you were going to played Oregon right. Oregon State you played Arizona Arizona State play SC uh, and, and UCLA, you go up north, you play Cal and Stanford, and it was perfect. It was perfect. And now all that stuff is is completely out the window, by and large. All right, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions. Who is the best college player you've seen while coaching? Um, well, I said this, and um, it got a little bit misquoted, but Norman Shong on my team, um, obviously I'm massively biased, biased yep. but – I was quoted as saying he's the best college player I've seen since Tiger. I didn't say he was the next Tiger Woods. It's been quoted as that. I apologize to him if I put that pressure on him. But I haven't seen a guy play golf like that. He was so young. He won everything. He dominated. I think he won five times his sophomore year, which is really his freshman year when he was the national player of the year, and then he turned pro. So great to see him win the other day in the, in the web. That's such a breakthrough for him. Um, he was as good as I've seen. Um, and we haven't seen him at a professional level play like he did when he was 19 at Oregon. If we do look out, you know, he's, he's, you know, when, when he was in college, it was, he was one a and Colin Morikawa was, and, and those guys were one B to be honest. Okay. Uh, the best shot you ever saw tiger strike before he turned pro. Okay. Um, it was at New Mexico in a practice round for the, regionals it was in a windstorm we got called off the golf course the practice round got canceled because it was blowing 100 miles an hour and there was dust and we were on the 10th hole which i think is the first hole now they flipped it but it's a par five it was blowing so hard i couldn't stand up and he had a four iron stinger about 10 feet high from 250 yards out that went to 10 feet and i remember looking at him and i looked at noda and the horn got – we didn't even go pick up the ball. It was the last shot of the practice round, and it was like – it was an alien that hit the shot. No one else could do that. Um, and that was probably the best shot I saw him hit. All right. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure? Ice cream, um, coffee, a little bit of bourbon. I don't drink a lot, but I love <laughs> sipping on a little bit of bourbon. All right. What is, what is the best golf course – you've never played that you want to? Mm, great question. Um, you know, that is, a, well, I guess, uh, yeah, that's an easy question. Augusta. Okay. Well, I'm surprised that you've never played Augusta National. It's not easy to play. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. Hopefully this will, this will get the wheels in motion. All right, last thing. Your favorite Oregon athlete of all time. For people who don't know, I mean, this is this goes way, way back. Your great, great, great grandfather helped settle uh, the town of Eugene. So this is, I mean, this is this is like in your blood. Lifetime Oregon athlete of all time. Who is he or she? I mean, that is an impossible question. Uh, Peter Jacobson. Let's go with Peter. 
he has been unbelievable to me, unbelievable to Oregon. He doesn't get enough credit as how great he's been to us. I'm going with Peter Jacobs. I love it. Listen, you're awfully kind. You're busy. You're at the U.S. Junior up there at Bandon uh, to take the time. I really appreciate it. I hope our paths will cross at some point. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Once again, I really appreciate Casey Martin taking the time uh, while he was literally in his car in the parking lot at Bandon Dunes to talk about his life, a fascinating one. And if he can play competitive golf again ever, I'll be watching. I know a lot of other people will as well. But the fact that he continues uh, to invest his own time in the game by coaching at the highest college level at the University of Oregon, uh, he can't get it out of his system. And nor can he get the thought of playing at the highest level out of his system. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for taking the time. Johnson Wagner will be joining us next in studio on this Five Clubs Conversation. Take care, everybody.